0: This is Science by the Slice, a podcast from the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Center for Public Issues Education. In this podcast, experts discuss the science of issues affecting our daily lives, reveal the motivations behind the decisions people make, and ultimately provide insight to solutions for our lives.
1: This intersection of science and health and policy has never been better illustrated than the issue of heat-related illness.
2: Hey everyone, Philip Stokes here with Science by the Slice and Education Coordinator with the Pi Center. This is part one of our two-part series about being outside in the heat and more specifically, the heat-related illnesses that can happen with overexposure to high temperatures. You just heard from Dr. Linda McCauley, one of the guests on today's episode. More about her in just a bit, but in today's episode, our guests discuss heat-related illnesses in worker populations. Today's conversation can get a little heavy at times. These are people's lives and livelihoods that are being discussed, and some of the content of this episode may be unsettling for some listeners. You'll hear an interview conducted by Michaela Kanzer, communications assistant at the Pi Center. She spoke with Dr. Linda McCauley and Dr. Roxana Chikas, both from the Nell Hodgson Woodruff School of Nursing at Emory University. Dr. McCauley is the dean and a professor, and Dr. Chicas is an assistant professor, and they both conduct clinical research in occupational and environmental health. The research they are discussing today is about how heat affects human health, what this could mean in a changing climate, and how this impacts worker populations. And one last thing I want to mention, much of the research being discussed in this episode was conducted through a research project with the Southeastern Coastal Center for Agricultural Health and Safety, a partner program of the Pi Center. Through this research project, Dr. McCauley, as well as Dr. Chikas. We're researching heat stress and chronic kidney disease among farm workers. There are quite a few really significant findings and implications from this research project, which you'll hear them discuss in this episode, and I'll make sure to include different resources from their research in the show notes. Okay, with that, we'll pick up with Michaela asking Dr. McCauley to explain what heat-related illnesses are.
3: So I just want to start off with a question about what is heat-related illness? That's a great
1: question. It's it's a term
3: that we're using to describe an
1: array of symptoms and health problems that can be associated with exposure to high temperatures. For many, many years, the only heat-related health effect that was studied was heat stroke, when a person actually would lose consciousness from working or exercising in um, rising temperatures. Now we are beginning to realize there's an array of symptoms. Many times people don't recognize what they are. From beginning with uh, more dehydration than we would expect or or want to see in humans to um, death by heat stroke and heat exposure. And so heat-related illness is kind of the all-inclusive terms for things that you can attribute to heat. And and that's really important because if you think about it, if temperatures are climbing and someone goes to an emergency room with a cardiac event, they're going to record the cause of death as cardiac arrest, right? But as we become increasingly aware of the effects of climate change, a lot of clinicians and scientists are arguing that the that it needs to be heat related cardiac arrest or heat related illness that's why it's important so that if you don't if you don't name something correctly you can't count it
3: yeah that makes sense so that causes a big issue for surveillance of the issue right right so how are you guys
0: working to help combat that issue
2: and this is dr Roxana chicas
0: uh, what we're doing is uh, we've been doing studies with agricultural workers who are perhaps one of the most exposed uh, occupations to um, heat. And so we've been doing studies to characterize how their body is uh, reacting to being chronically exposed to heat. We knew before that they were suffering from heat-related illness, but um, many of those studies were done um, where workers would just self-report symptoms. still is actually one of the first studies to measure uh, heat-related illness symptoms by um, measuring core body temperature, where we saw that the worker's core body temperature was in fact going over the 38 degrees Celsius threshold. And then we also were um, monitoring like the, the heat, exp- the ambient heat that they were working in, as well as their dehydration dehyd- uh, levels or dehydration that they were having. And so our studies um, are, you know, to bring awareness uh, to what's going on to the body and how how climate change and heat uh, is affecting human health and hopefully use that for um, some work, work better working conditions and also to try to push, you know, more policies that combat uh, climate change.
1: You know, it's an interesting story about how we got into this type of research. Uh, we didn't just decide one day to start studying heat we were studying female farm workers who might become pregnant. And what we knew about hazards in that uh, work environment that could have effects on the pregnancy and the fetus. And we were studying three things. There'd been a lot of work done on pesticide exposures in in pregnancies. And so that was one of the things we were looking at. And we were looking at... um, Muscular skeletal stress, because there'd been a lot of studies on prolonged standing while you're pregnant and how much exercise, vigorous activity you should do while you're pregnant. And we added heat exposure because we knew that a lot of women had been cautioned while they were pregnant, like not to run in marathons and not to um, overuse hot tubs and spas And so we had that third area of hazard, and we were doing lots of interviews of farm worker women, and this was in about 2010 and 11, so so 10 years ago. And they just grabbed hold of the heat exposure because they were already feeling it in Florida and had never, ever considered that heat exposure could be harmful to their pregnancies. And so that's how we got introduced to heat-related illness and, and knew that the farmworker community really cared about this issue. And then it wasn't just the women. They were like, what about our husbands, our our partners, our children who work in, in uh, agriculture? So it was... Just the most marvelous example of how when you work with communities and you educate them, they can let you know, let the scientific team know what they are really wanting to know more about and worried about.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's super awesome and a really great example, too, of you know academic research in real life. That's one of my favorite parts or favorite aspects of this podcast is every time we meet with a researcher and we get to hear the story of how they got into their research, it's always really cool to like see how that happened and how it wasn't just, they woke up one day with well, this idea, It it was a real need in the community and they're working really hard to meet that need and to fill that gap in the education. And I just think that's really awesome and really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that story. So I know that I was chatting with Roxana a little bit before uh, the interview, and she was talking about how she's actually down in Apopka and collecting some data right now. So can you kind of talk about that and how th- or what kind of data you're collecting in order to study this larger topic of heat-related illness?
0: Yeah, so I'm currently in Apopka, Florida, and we're actually doing our final data collection for a longitudinal study where we have been following a cohort of agricultural workers um, for about two years, in winter and summer, and we are collecting urine and blood samples morning before they go to work and after they end their work day. And we're also biomonitoring them while they're in the workplace. So looking to see how their uh, heart rate, their core body temperature, um, their physical activity, what the temperature is, where they're working at, all of that to just kind of get a really good picture and understanding of the uh, ambient temperature they're working in, but also how the body is responding and to see any types of changes from morning to afternoon. That's really awesome. So what kind of things have you found so far? Well, one thing that we found
1: is that we were able that these farm workers stick with us, right, They, When you do a longitudinal study, you have to kind of get a commitment from your research participants to stick with you and come back. And that's a that's a major challenge for a lot of research, and particularly challenging with immigrant populations. So our retention rate's been really good, right, Roxana?
0: Yes, it has been really, really good. And I think that speaks to that our research team, in collaboration with the Farmworkers Association of Florida, has um, made a commitment to really listen to the community, what their needs are, and um, we tailor our studies around um, their needs, like their schedule. And so the Farm Workers Association also does a great job with the outreach that they do do with the farm workers. And so I I think it shows a a really true commitment by the farm workers to uh, learn more, more about their health, but they also feel that they are contributing to hopefully improving the working conditions for, you know, future farm workers.
1: Uh, Some of the things science-wise that we found are an array of symptoms that are considered under the umbrella of heat-related illnesses from um, excessive sweating. Of course, we know that they come off the fields, just their clothing is wet from sweating during the day. And then headaches, nausea and vomiting, even stomach cramps. All the things that we classically know are associated with too much heat exposure. And it's really interesting that some of these symptoms initially are, they're rather vague. And in fact, they overlap a lot with pesticide exposure because pesticide exposures can cause headaches, nausea, cramping. And so what we believe is that We've done so much teaching around pesticide exposures and symptoms. We need to really work with the farm workers to really help them realize that there's two hazards that work in very mysterious ways and, and can cause similar symptoms. We also found that um, a large proportion of the workers show up underhydrated for whatever reasons during the night. They didn't overhydrate their bodies. Uh, They didn't drink enough fluids or maybe they drank fluids that aren't the best to hydrate the body. So they show up for work somewhat dehydrated, which is a compromising situation for them. We also, there are things that we haven't found, the questions that we're still studying. Like we can't seem to understand the risk factors for women versus men. Uh, Body weight doesn't seem to be a major predictor. You would think your BMI would play. I mean, if you're overweight running a marathon, I think we kind of think you would overheat faster than someone who was not overweight. We're not finding that as a major risk factor. Nothing is like clear, obvious, this is the most important. Risk factor for getting sick in the fields from heat exposure, which means we have to keep looking at what those susceptibility factors are that we just don't know yet. And that's why Roxana's work with pre diabetic state and the ability to metabolize glucose and um, could it be playing some interaction with heat exposure? Just don't know.
3: Yeah. That's really fascinating too. So kind of poses the question like, so do all, does everyone need to be worried about heat related illness? Does everyone need to be educated about the risks and about the symptoms and about some of the things that can be done to avoid heat related illness or what to do if you think someone is experiencing a heat related illness? So what are some of those things that, um, can be done to help prevent heat related illness in the field
0: and just in general? <laughs> yeah. So for my, uh, dissertation, we, uh, looked at cooling interventions and it was a cooling bandana a cooling, and a cooling vest. And then also what would happen if they wore both a cooling bandana and a cooling vest. And so we compared that to a control group. And so it was interesting because we found that uh, the bandana seemed to be more protective uh, from workers going over the 38 degree threshold and not so much for the, the cooling vests. And there's probably several reasons for that. Uh, one, you know, the vest was um, heavier than a cooling bandana that goes around their their waist, and it's the um, it, it would start to weigh them down as it started to melt. But I think that the cooling bandana is it's you know it's giving us signs that. No, we just need to be proactive, and there are, you know, sustainable solutions out there to try to keep workers safe. And we're also right now piloting a uh, electrolyte hydration intervention to see if, you know, we can. um, Number one, will the workers um, drink electrolyte um, fluids? Um, How much can they drink, and does that help with the um, alleviation of heat-related illness symptoms? And Kidney injury? Are they better hydrated with the solutions that we're giving them? So, you know, are there are they uh, suffering less symptoms of heat related illness? So, it's exciting times. I'm hoping that we can find some solutions. So, yeah, I think it's really, I think it's fascinating to see like how important the
3: work that you guys are doing. You know, you're studying heat related illness, but really you're working towards worker protection.
1: There's so much research that needs to be done. Right now, there's very few states that have any regulation for doing things differently for workers when the heat goes up. And think about that for a minute. The rest of public health, when we know a heat wave is coming, we mobilize and open cooling shelters. There's outreach to the elderly there's people are told to drink more water more water is available workers are outside workers particularly are largely ignored and it's not just with heat so when we looked in the in the west during the wildfires last summer where they were uh, opening shelters for people to get away from the smoke and we knew that the particulate matter in the smoke was hazardous to health There are so many pictures of farm workers working in densely smoked fields. And so I don't know what it says about our country that somehow workers, and particularly immigrant workers, are not considered essential and vulnerable. Um, Farm workers working in those fields with dense smoke all around them, harvesting vegetables for people who weren't even aware of where the vegetables they were eating that week came from and who took that risk of working in that smoke to harvest those crops for them. It's just very disturbing. So there's huge amounts of work for um, biological scientists, social scientists, anthropologists, health policy folks. It's It's a very encompassing problem. So there is just this intersection of science and health and policy has never been better illustrated than the issue of heat-related illness.
0: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, migration, one of the biggest drivers of migration is climate change. And so here in the United States, we're seeing those two issues kind of collide, right? Immigrants coming here to the United States, climate change happening, they are considered essential, but have no very few labor protections. And so I, I think that, you know, this is um this is the work we're doing is good. And I'm I'm hopeful that more researchers will be interested in in trying to look into this area. And I think like Dean McCauley said, like having multidisciplinary people uh, look at this so that we have a better grasp of what the situation is. And I think that more people will become aware of the harsh working conditions that farm workers are having, immigrants are having, and uh, hopefully we can make some change. Yeah, that is super fascinating.
3: So are there like health databases that you guys can pull data from to look and see You know, about some of these farm workers and the symptoms and stuff that they are experiencing? Or is it all data that you're having to go out and collect in the field yourselves? You know, there's the National
1: Agricultural Worker Survey, which is operated with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Sometimes they have health related questions, but it was never designed to be a health survey. And so that's the best randomized survey of the population but it's not because it's more about a labor survey than a health survey it's certainly not as comprehensive as what we need and it's never there's no way to track individuals that you see with um research studies to their health record it's just it's so fragmented in the united states that we can't do it the um Migrant Clinician Network is actually has a project where they're trying to enroll farm workers in their health surveillance. And no matter where they work in the United States, they are linked with the Migrant Clinician Network so that that group can begin to survey the work of the population. It's not huge yet, but it's it's the type of things that we need.
3: I just have a few more questions for you guys. So looking at, you know, solutions in the field, um, what kind of solutions do you think that there are or what kind of solutions have you guys been finding that you can share with policymakers or with just people in communities or with farm managers and operators?
1: So, you know, this is so simple. To protect workers, there's three things that you have to do. You have to give them rest breaks, because they will, we know that if they're, if they're depending on how vigorous the work is, that's a huge risk factor for their core body temperature rising. So you have to give them um, rest breaks, maybe even mandate how how much that needs to be. Um, you have to keep them hydrated. They have to have water, and they have to have shade when they're resting. They They've got to be able to cool off. And so some farm workers, I mean, some growers actually, when they're resting in these shaded canopies, they have ice for them to put around their necks to try to cool off. But it's really as basic as that. Work breaks, rest, and shade and water.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a simple, um, just kind of like example from the BP oil spill that happened many years ago. And uh, when OSHA was there kind of overseeing the cleanup and it was so hot, they required, it was mandated that the workers take breaks in the shade. And there were no, not a single report of heat related illness, severe heat related illness uh, in any of the workers. And as soon as OSHA left, Uh, And it was no longer, you know, mandated and there was no oversight, no oversight, Uh, heat related illness symptoms started popping up to the point that it was over 900 cases of heat related illness that was reported. So I think that shows just right there how important for it to be required that they take a break. You know, oftentimes growers and industry will say, well, you know, they they could take a break whenever they want. (laughs) Um, But. You know, there's a power imbalance. Yeah, there's a power imbalance, right? And they're also paid by the piece. So this is a case where time really is money and taking breaks is not something that they can really uh do because they're they're really working hard just to survive, right? And if if we had, like Dean McCauley said, these three simple things, I think that agricultural workers wouldn't be 35 times at risk for heat-related death.
3: Yeah, I think that's such a powerful example that you just shared. So yeah, I guess the next task is to get people to do that, right? <laughs> um, so I guess just my last question is, do you guys have any final thoughts that you guys would like to leave behind um, and share with our listeners today?
1: Uh, just that this climate change is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And as Roxana said, these, you know, these workers who are harvesting our food are essential. They have to work. Our country depends upon it. There are other outside workers that it's less essential. You know, landscapers and uh, even some some roads, say like there's outside workers who work on very hot roads. You could delay the road repairs. You can't delay feeding people in the United States. And so it's just critically, this whole concept is critical, this concept of an essential worker. And you can't stop them from working and producing food, but we have to protect them. They're not dispendable lives. And and there's so much work. And the perception that they're all illegal and they took on this risk when they came to the United States is just harmful because a lot of these workers are not undocumented. A lot of them are here legally on work visas. And so no humans are dispensable.
2: Once again, that was Michaela Kanzer speaking with Dr. Linda McCauley and Dr. Roxana Chicas. I want to thank both of our guests for being on Science by the Slice. As I mentioned at the beginning, I included different links in the show notes so you can learn more about this topic. There's a recorded webinar by Dr. McCauley, an entire resource page on heat stress from the Southeastern Coastal Center for Agricultural Health and Safety, and even a short documentary called Facing the Sun, which includes actual footage from the research carried out by Dr. McCauley and Dr. Chicas. Next up, we will still be discussing heat and how overexposure can impact our health, but in a different setting, sports and athletics. Now, this episode isn't just for athletes. I spoke with Dr. Rebecca Lopez from the University of South Florida, who researches exertional heat illnesses, and we talk about how this can impact anyone. Whether you're participating in sports or doing any other activity outdoors. That episode is available now. I want to thank everyone who works on Science by the Slice. Michaela Kanzer, Rachel Rabin, Valentina Castano, Sydney Honeycutt, Ricky Telg, Ashley McLeod-Morin, and Elena Poulin. I'm Philip Stokes. This is Science by the Slice.